So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Hello, welcome to Trending on this last Monday of February. Here we are, this month dedicated to the Holy Family in the Catholic Church, and it's happy hour too, and it's the day that we pray the joyful mysteries of the rosary. About one hour from now, we will gather to do that with the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky. Timory will be back on Wednesday. In the meantime, it's Brooke Taylor, though, here with you again. So happy to be joining you, and we have a fantastic next hour. Talk about happy hour. Amazing Saints. Also, though, some spiritual warfare in there and big themes on today's program. We're going to hear a lot about Lent, offering it up and how we can do that joyfully. It sounds like it's totally opposed, but there's such a beauty in that paradox. So we'll talk about that with Brother Richard Hendrick. He'll be joining us from Dublin, up late in Ireland. So grateful that he's staying up to join us. And also talking about Servant of God, Rhoda Wise. Have you ever heard of her? Do you know her story? Incredible, this unassuming homemaker from Canton, Ohio, who grew up Protestant. And it wasn't until she began praying the rosary after an extended hospital stay and also had a devotion to the Sacred Heart and St. Therese of Lisieux that she became Catholic and is now on her way to sainthood. She was a convert, a mystic, uh, stigmata. She had the stigmata as well. And again, a deep devotion to the Holy Rosary. So we will hear it all from our first guest in just a moment. And again, later on this hour, the French- Franciscan Capuchin friend, Brother Richard Hendrick, will join us from Dublin as well, all coming up on Trending. If you want to weigh in, do you want to talk about offering it up? Do you want to talk about how your Lent is going so far? And maybe you know Servant of God wrote a wise and have a devotion of her. Would love to hear from you. One triple eight nine one four nine one four nine is the number to call. On October seventh, two thousand sixteen, the Diocese of Youngstown, Ohio, formerly opened the cause of beatification and canonization for. Rhoda Wise, again, this housewife who lived in a neighborhood of Canton until her death at the age of 60 in 1948. She suffered many illnesses, including a 39-pound tumor, abscesses, wounds that wouldn't heal, but then later would. We'll get the whole story. And then the miracles began in 1939. And today, her home is visited by pilgrims from around the world and includes a shrine, a grotto. And joining me now is Monica Dolenk, the secretary of the shrine and grotto and director of public relations for the Rhoda Wise home. Hi, Monica. Hello, Brooke. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your time and your willingness to tell Rhoda's story. And and because her story is one I think everybody should be familiar with, and there's a lot to it, I want to just kind of jump right in. So could we gave a little <laughs> preview there, but could you give us, kind of take us back to those humble beginnings in Ohio and the journey of Rhoda? Absolutely. It's an honor to do so. Um, so like you noted, um, so she is from Cadiz, Ohio, um, from a family that had great anti-Catholic bias. And uh, she was actually married p- prior to George Wise. And only for six months, though, it was that man that brought her to Canton. That's how she became um, a, a member of the Canton uh, community. Mm-hmm. And she met George Wise 
shortly after the death of her first husband. Now, she loved George very dearly, but he sadly struggled with severe alcoholism, uh, which was a great suffering both emotionally and financially. Because of George's drinking, he could not hold a job, so the family lost several homes. They finally moved into their three-bedroom shack on the twenty on 25th Street near the city dump, which is the uh, where the shrine is located today. <clears throat> this home had no power, no running water. I mean, it was it was uh, the epitome of, of a, a poverty home. Um, <clears throat> on top of this, they were unable to conceive their own children, so they suffered infertility. They were, however, able to adopt two little girls, but tragically, their oldest daughter, Ruth, died just a few days before her first birthday from the Spanish flu. Wow. Then her life was marked with great physical suffering um, uh, from two areas, one her abdomen and the other her foot. So in 1932, when she was the age of 44, Rhoda's doctor found a 39-pound ovarian tumor, which is really hard to even imagine carrying around 39 pounds. Um, Back then, obviously, medical procedures were completely different than they are today. And pain medication and antibiotics, they were not as readily available as they are now. So it was quite an intense surgery to undertake, but she was able to find a doctor willing to do the procedure, and it was a success. But then a couple of years later, she had uh, another um, issue. She fell in an open sewer drain and her her foot was horribly damaged and it would not heal properly. And so she had to continually get different casts put on to try and correct her foot. Now, during one such visit to the hospital to get a new cast, a nurse found an abscess on her old abdominal incision. Upon okay, it. Oh, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't mean to interject, but she had that 39-pound tumor removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then she, her, you know, twists her foot and has those, has to have a cast. She goes mm-hmm. in and that original area where she had that tumor removed, they found an abscess there? Exactly, yes. Okay. So they immediately opened that incision to, to take care of the abscess. But then what they found were adhesions on the bowel underneath the incision. Wow. So she had to have a few more surgeries to correct these adhesions. Um, but that wound just refused to heal. So she had to stay in the hospital for uh, nearly a year receiving medical care on on this open wound. Um, So then, and this was a Catholic hospital. So remember, she was uh, from a a very anti-Catholic background. So while she's there in this Catholic hospital, she's visited by, by nuns who are, you know, visiting all the ill patients. And she befriends one nun in particular who teaches her several Catholic devotions, such as Sacred Heart of Jesus, the Most Holy Rosary, and teaches her about St. Therese of Lisieux, the Little Flower. And she starts praying the rosary and this novena to St. Therese every day. And little by little, she becomes more curious about the Catholic faith. And her heart is really opened to, to the Catholic faith and has a deep desire to become Catholic. So she's then introduced to Monsignor Habig, who at the time was the pastor of St. Peter's Catholic Church in downtown Canton. And um, after some instruction. Are you still there? I think we lost Monica. Which Oh, 
getting to the point where Rhoda is in the hospital. Are you still there with us, Monica? There I am. I'm back. Okay. Can you, we, I think we dropped or I dropped, someone did for a moment. Can you take us into where I think Monica, um, Monsignor Habig was there? So okay. he, go ahead. Yes. So Monsignor Habig, um, he, he was the pastor of St. Peter's Church in downtown Canton. And uh, just after some time, some instruction with her, he, he did um, welcome her into the church or received her into the Catholic Church in January wow. of 1939. It was very joyful. Um, but then, sadly, a few months later in May, um, so she's still in the hospital this whole time. Okay. So in May then, she is diagnosed with stomach cancer. And at that point, the doctor said, there's nothing more that we can do for you. And she's literally, she's discharged from the hospital and essentially sent home to die. Mm. And, and she was prepared for it. And so she went home and just a few weeks later, uh, on May 28th, 1939, Rhoda is awoken by a bright light in her bedroom. And all of a sudden she sees our Lord Jesus Christ in front of her. And she sees his wounds from this, from um, his passion, and she's not surprised. She thinks he's there to take her home to heaven. Mm -hmm. And when she asks him this, he says, no, your time has not yet come. I will return in 31 days. And just as he said, he did return on June 28th, but this time with St. Therese. And during this visit, St. Therese says, you've been tried in the fire and not found wanting. Faith cures all things. Then St. Therese touches Rhoda's abdomen and completely heals it. It was a medical miracle. There, were, there was no explanation, and it, it completely stumped the doctors. Um, I want to, you know, just to, yeah. just to take that all in for a moment, just what you said, and the, the reality that she grew up in a very anti-Catholic family, had that formation, and then malformation, and then goes to this hospital, becomes Catholic, prays the rosary every day, and then it's St. Therese who heals her and medically inexplicable. I know there are document documents and, you know, not photograph of, you know, the healing, but all of these things have been traced, recorded. There have been witnesses and all new skin. And one thing I think that's notable is when they sent her home to die, and maybe you can confirm if this is true, that area was not able to, the clo the skin was open. So her bowel mm -hmm. was essentially coming through and was burning her skin every time, yes. you know, her body was digesting. And to have that completely be fresh skin new is mm -hmm. inexplicable. It is a miracle. And really, in a lot of ways, that was just the beginning. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's correct. Mm-hmm. And then what about her foot? Because that was an issue as well, right? It was. And actually, so on August 15th, the Feast of the Assumption, um, the little flower returned, visited again and said, um, <clears throat> well, this was a particularly difficult evening for Rhoda because uh, the, the cast on her foot was, um, if, if you recall, I said that uh, her foot would not heal. So each cast that they, the doctors would put on her, it kept getting tighter and tighter because her foot would go inward and, and deform basically. And so they had to tighten the cast to try and straighten her foot. Um, so this particular night where she was having a very difficult evening and um, St. Therese says to her, just waves her hand and says, that is a very little thing. Get up and walk. So Rhoda stands up. And as her foot touches the ground, the cast splits open from top to bottom, right down the middle. 
and her foot is completely healed. No explanation. And no explanation. None. And again, the, the totally stumped the doctors. She was able to walk uh, for the first time in over two years, completely unassisted by crutches. And then St. Therese instructed her to go to mass. And she does. And that was the first mass Rhoda ever went to because prior to that, she couldn't physically get there. <laughs> and also, and um, in, in for our the scientific, because <laughs> Patrick says this sounds like a movie, it is. But there, and, <laughs> and but it's a true story because there is scientific documentation. The cast remains still in a glass display. Essentially, you can see the evidence. You can see the cast, yes. and obviously, her foot was completely healed. And and I know that we could easily spend the next hour because there's so much to her story. And I want to get to two points. One that Rhoda called the greatest miracle of all, of all the things that happened, and we're just touching the surface. And I do also want to invite on our trending page on Relevant Radio, we're going to link up to the Rhoda Wise home and grotto, which includes historical documentation, images, photos, the things that you're talking about here. But talk about George and how he was healed, which we talked about his alcoholism, which was chronic, serious, and very devastating. What happened there? So there was one evening, uh, George was out, um, you know, he came home, had uh, way too much to drink and he, um, he went to pass out and our Lord came to visit him. And, uh, we don't know what he said, but whatever he said, really, really stuck with George. And he kept, he would turn to the other side in bed and there would, there Jesus would be. And then he'd turn again and there Jesus would be whatever our Lord said to him really stuck with him because the next morning he never had another drink again the rest of his life. He was completely healed. And Rhoda it does go on record saying that of all the miracles she experienced, the healing of her beloved George was the greatest. And so that, that really goes to show how much suffering his alcoholism caused her. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And also, when you talk about suffering, the stigmata, she mm -hmm. suffered the visible stigmata every first Friday from noon to 3 p.m. for two and a half years in 1942 yes. through 1945. And then thereafter, she suffered an invisible stigmata until her death. There are photographs of this. People did, I know, come from around the world and do still today to pilgrimage to the home. And I, I guess in the time that we have left, again, because this is just the beginning seeds of really her story. Could you maybe share, Monica, of the pilgrims that come and the things that you've seen, maybe something that's really impacted you? We didn't even touch on, by the way, her probably greatest known healing, and that was a young woman named Rita Rizzo who came to Rhoda and was really, um, Rhoda was her mentor and her healing that occurred. Yes. Yes, she was. And well, to, so to answer your question, um, what's one thing that, you know, impacts people the most? I mean, there's so many things, uh, you know, but so what I would say is that her story is so relatable as a wife and mother, as an everyday, you know, normal woman, she, she shows us that heroic virtue can be achieved in our own homes by sharing in Christ's suffering in whatever way he asks you know, in, in my experience, many people come to the shrine, they, they'll hear about her physical miracles and, and they desire a physical miracle of their own. But 
they always leave surprised by the details of her story that they didn't know, you know, like, like George's cure from alcoholism or the fact that she lost a child in infancy or, or had infertility. And, you know, I've never met anyone who's come to the shrine and has not been moved by some aspect of her story or could relate to something in her story in a very tangible way. Yeah. And everyone knows someone who's suffering from, you know, whether it be a chronic physical ailment, cancer, infertility, loss of a child, alcoholism, or any drug addiction, or conversion, you know, financial difficulty. You know, these are all sufferings that are are applicable to today, to all of us today. And, um, you know, she experienced every single one of them and willingly for the love of our Lord. So I think that that's just something that that heroic strength through the suffering, her witness and her holiness, it, it ultimately gives all of us hope. Yeah. And you said something, the, the offering it up, the redemptive suffering, and that's a big theme of the show. The rest of the hour, we're going to talk to Brother Richard Hendrick from Ireland. And we we struggle with that, of course, our nature. And whether it's on the inner life here on Relevant Radio, we there's always such beautiful instruction about how we might better enter into having suffering be as a conversion for us and to unite our pain as penance with the passion of our Lord. And Rhoda did that to such a heroic, incredible degree. She knew, and this woman who grew up not at all Catholic, she Mm -hmm. understood like almost this doctor of the church kind of way in this simplicity that this was the greatest gift. She wasn't going to waste anything. And still today there is fruit from that conversions, healings. And I wanted to ask you about that as we conclude. The Episcopal delegate for the case of Rhoda Weiss personally delivered a sealed envelope to the prefect for the apostolic nuncio in Washington. Then from there, documents were sent to the prefect uh, for the Congregation for the Cause of Saints. And that's where I think it is now for her cause. And this, again, she's been determined to be a servant of God. But where is her cause for sainthood right now? Yes, you explained it beautifully. Um, we are still working on the positio. Our postulators working on the positio, uh, which is the final position paper, which details uh, in this case, Rhoda's life, and we're told it's in the final stages. And, um, you know, for, for now, we just ask everyone to pray. Please pray her beatification prayer. It's it's on our website. If you just Google Rhoda Wise, she'll come up. And um, the more uh, miracles, specifically the medical miracles we have that are completely inexplicable, that will help us uh, help help further her cause for canonization. I know there are a pair of braces. There are things that have been left from people that have been healed. Mm-hmm. Yes. And my own husband, I'll, I'll just share this, when I, because I'm very blessed over the years to, to visit the Roto-Wise home many times. And I remember early on when my husband and I were married, and he was in the 82nd Airborne, and he wasn't deployed, but he did a lot of missions and different things, and he was having terrible nightmares that were like night terrors. It was really not good at all. And we went there with my mom. We prayed. He never again ever had a nightmare. And you know that I know you can't say, well, you can document this scientifically, but there was a quickening in him, in his heart. And this was before he was Catholic. And this was many years ago. But, um, you know, just again, one person where so many people have pilgrimaged through the world there 
in that little tiny Depression era shack to Canton, Ohio, and also the fragrance of roses. I know that's something that is not uncommon when people are there, that they smell this overpowering aroma of roses. Uh, are you still... Yep, it happens all the time. And um, we we still get, you know, you mentioned the testimonials. <clears throat> we get them constantly. I mean, we have binders and binders of testimonials of people saying, you know, they that they were healed in some way or someone they know was healed in some way. And it's, uh, so, so any of your listeners, if they are aware of Rhoda and they have personally experienced some sort of healing or favor, please let let us know because we really do document every single one and um it's it's so rewarding to meet other people who have encountered rhoda in this way the love of our lord through rhoda's intercession it's it's uh, it's a privilege and a blessing for all of us absolutely and like you said and, and for all the saints that are what Pope Benedict XVI would call stars in the night sky that light the way to lead us home and they show us the way and in her suffering and in her beauty. And I remember Karen, who has been at the home, uh, the guardian really of the home for decades now, said that when you have the stigmata, you kind of get it all. She got the scorn, the unbelief, the spiritual attacks, the physical suffering. And to Mm -hmm. offer that up, I know that was a big thing in reparation, but also for priests. What an incredible example she is and intercessor for sure yes and that's you know one note to make a point of the stigmata that she suffered for those three years she specifically offered for priests and uh those within any religious vocation um that's that's and we still pray for that today we have actually uh last year um our current bishop in the diocese of youngstown uh unveiled a a new beatification prayer for rhoda that's specifically for priests and our religious brothers and sisters. Beautiful. Bishop Bonner, God bless him. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. And and what a wonderful saint to get to know this Lent <laughs> and obviously so well acquainted to our Lord's passion she was and how we might unite our suffering to Jesus. Thank you for introducing Rhoda to us, Monica, and for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Brooke. God bless you. And by the way, again, all of the information of the Rotowise Home can be found on our relevant radio page. Just go to the trending show page and you can find uh, you can find the link. We will be right back. Brother Richard Hendrick is going to be joining us from Dublin. Hopefully we can get him on the line here. A priest fire of the Irish branch of the Franciscan Capuchin Order. We're going to be talking about offering it up. Our sufferings, saints, spiritual warfare. That's next here on Relevant Radio. This is Trending. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory today. She'll be back on Wednesday. This is Relevant Radio and the app. We'll be right back. Are you tired of educational options that are one size fits all? Our sponsor, Colby Academy, offers the flexibility of both accredited online and traditional school at home options to fit the needs of your child. Visit relevantradio.com slash Colby.
three days is upon us. Lent is here. How is your Lent going so far? I know that's always a tough question. And there's also beauty in that, of course, too, because I think as we grow in the spiritual life, the Lord calls us to something deeper, richer. Sometimes we don't always get those consolations and we feel like we're on the right track. But even when we're struggling, therein, that moment could be the great moment of glory, learning to offer up our failures and irritations and frustrations. And that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, Timory's going to be back on Wednesday. I forgot to say welcome back to the program. It's Brooke Taylor here. So glad to be with you and really looking forward to talking about the saints and as it relates to Lent, offering up our sufferings. It's something that was the old way of the Catholic faith, but now often is used almost as sarcasm. But there is such great potency in that. And how can we find a renewed love in offering up our frustrations and failures that will help us unite our suffering to the passion of Christ? And I'm hoping, uh, Patrick, are we good with uh, Brother Richard? Not yet. Okay. It's late in Dublin. We're trying to get him on the line from Dublin, Ireland, and grateful (laughs) that he's staying up for us, but trying to connect with him now. He is currently actually at one of the oldest churches in Dublin, so always love to be able to connect with him. But when you think about the things that we see around us, whether that is idolatry, irreverence, irreverence is increasing in our sanctuaries, blasphemy is all too common, not taking Sunday and reverencing it, and so profaning Sundays, all of these things, even the way the human person, of course, is not treated like the sanctity and beauty and dignity that it commands. All of these things is where reparation comes in, and that is the beautiful devotion to the Sacred Heart, the devotion to the Holy Face. Both are involved in making reparations so that no matter where the Lord is forgotten or mistreated or disrespected or blasphemed in the world, that he will find a place in our homes or in our hearts, that he will always be respected and loved. And that's really the beauty of reparation and also how we can unite our sufferings to our Lord. If you are in a store and you hear you know, blasphemy, or you hear someone being disrespected, or you yourself are not being treated very nice, it's a great opportunity to say, okay, where in the Lord's passion did this happen? Were people unkind to our Lord? Did they forget his kindness? Did they spit upon him? And to take that suffering and to offer it up to our Lord's. And that's kind of the outside outline of the idea of offering up our suffering. And I want to have uh, Brother Richard kind of dig in a little bit more. How are we doing? Are we able to get him, Patrick? I'm Not yet? Okay. So Brother Richard has a beautiful poem that I wanted to share with you in which he talks about that. And he also talks about the rosary. I just need to pull it up here. And It's all about the Holy Spirit shining a spotlight on the blind spots of our life to help see where the enemy lurks so that we have the strength to defeat the enemy and that we know that God is always with us. And that comes when we are in a state of sanctifying grace. We go to confession, we pray the rosary, offering up our suffering. Oh, are we there, Patrick? Okay. Okay, it looks like we're good to go from Dublin. <laughs> Brother Richard is here. Hi, hi, Brother Richard, are you with us? Hi, Brooke, I'm with you indeed. Oh, you sound wonderful. And you're up. You sound very energized, but it's quite late there. 
coffee, coffee helps a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I also wanted to ask, because I was looking at the calendar, we've got St. Patrick's Day in about three weeks, which it does fall on a Sunday, feast day. Mm-hmm. But there in Dublin, are you beginning to prepare or is it a bit too early yet? Little too early for us, I'm afraid, at the moment. Yeah, um, the, the next big event we have here, uh, which mightn't be too well known to your listeners, is what we call the Novena of Grace. Uh, and that is nine days from the 4th to the 12th of March, which is spent through the intercession of St. Francis Xavier, uh, the very famous missionary and companion of St. Ignatius who founded the Jesuits. Uh, so it's a very special novena to us here in the city centre of Dublin because it began here. Um, it began just over 200 years ago uh, wow. in the parish that I'm parish priest of, uh, where uh, one of my predecessors, a diocesan priest at that time, um, was seeking a particular grace from uh, through the intercession of St. Francis Xavier, <clears throat> excuse me, and he had a, a dream in which the saint appeared to him and asked him to pray for these nine days, um, at the end of which the grace was granted to him, and so he popularized the novena, and it's a, a very beloved novena to the people of Dublin, and our church is, is the place where it began. So it's a big event for us every year from the 4th to the 12th of March, and we're very blessed that our, our local convent of the um, Presentation Sisters, um, through uh, various historical uh, ups and downs, which I won't go into now, but they are in possession of the relic of the Mission Cross of St. Francis Xavier. Mm. Oh, uh, and so at the end, yes, at the, at the end of the novena, they very graciously loan it to us and people can receive a blessing with the original cross that was used uh, by St. Francis Xavier in his mission. And you said that's March 4th through the 12th. That's the Novena of Grace. Yes, we begin on the 4th and we finish on the 12th. If anybody would like to know about it, all they need to do is Google Novena of Grace in honor of St. Francis Xavier. And okay. they'll find all the details there. I'm, I'm going to check the relevant radio app, too, because we have, I think, every Novena. So I'm thinking I have to find sure, that one. That's sure, coming sure. right up, I'm too. Sure that's beautiful. I'm sure it's there. As we were getting you connected, um, well, later on, I want to get to your poem because I did mention that, and you might not even remember it. I think you wrote it about 10 years ago about the beauty and the joy of the rosary, and we'll get to that at the end of the show, but I just sure, didn't want, sure. I don't want to forget that, but I do want to talk about something that really the first guest set up, and that was redemptive suffering and how we might offer up Indeed. our sufferings, especially through Lent, and in the end of the Liturgy of the Hours this morning, I was just praying the Liturgy of the Hours, the morning prayer, and the concluding prayer says this, God, our Father, teach us to find new life through penance. You who have taught us to chasten our bodies for the healing of souls. Enable us, we pray, and strengthen our hearts to carry out your loving commands. So right there, I mean, what a beautiful reminder that we are brought into this mystery, penance, offering it up. And just such an incredible invitation to enter into the salvific work of Christ. And so maybe you could give us a little lesson on how and why offering up our sufferings brings us into deeper conversion. Sure. Well, I suppose first and foremost, um, it takes us out of ourselves. It takes us out of that egoic, selfish self that that we all tend to fall into from time to time, uh, because it immediately allows us to unite with Christ in, in directing our love outwards. Uh, we begin to look towards our brothers and sisters. Uh, we begin to look towards the needs of, of the world at large, the needs of the church. Um, and, and so uh, in, in, a, in a really very practical and simple way, 
uh, when we begin to, um, to, to to unite our suffering, and whether that's just the day-to-day ups and downs, or maybe people out there are going through particularly profound or, or, or tragic um, and difficulties at the moment, regardless of what the size of them seems to be to us, we remember the parable of the widow's might. You know, the important thing is uh, the intention with which we offer rather than the amount which we offer. Mm. Uh, and so we, we turn to the Lord and we, we hand him these, these, uh, these gifts. And the saints, you know, show us that these are very precious jewels um, that, that we are given. And, and so often, and I include myself in this, so often, you know, we give in to the grumbling, we give in to the, to the, um, the kind of uh, self-centeredness that wants to avoid these things. But the chances are, for every human being in life, there's going to be occasions of, of suffering, there's going to be occasions of difficulty, and we may even voluntarily, um, and I would always say with good spiritual guidance, uh, we may even voluntarily uh, take on a little extra, especially during the Lenten season. But the important thing is to have the intention of uniting that with the mystery of Christ's cross. Um, in, in th- this is the sense in which St. Paul speaks of us making up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that there's anything lacking in the sacrifice of Christ. His sacrifice is absolute, perfect, and, and the ultimate sacrifice, which forever um, changes our entire existence. But what, what Paul meant, as far as the, the, the teaching of the Church is concerned, is that we are to cooperate with Christ. So we, we are, if you like, the extension of his, his passion in time. Um, we, we, we are the ones through which the redemptive merits of the cross become present in the world as we unite ourselves to Christ and allow that that deep inner conversion uh, that comes from surrendering the self and particularly surrendering you know that, that basic desire that can often set up an idolatry in our souls and, and that really all sin comes down to, which is seeking a reality other than the one we are actually experiencing mm. at the moment. So all, all fundamental temptation comes down to that, you know? Uh, that in some way we think, if only, you know, if only it was other than it is, my life would be so much better. My life would be would be more pleasurable. My life would be, you know, I'd be more famous. I'd be uh, more more self centered. Um, people would would like me. You know, whatever it might be, all of these things that go on through our minds uh, and are these kind of fantasies of the ego, which are very often then brought about by external temptation. So when we enter the passion of Christ, we enter the ultimate dimension of reality. You can be no more real than uniting with Christ in the cross at that moment. And I always think it's worth remembering that in his divinity, in that moment, that well, that long, long period of, of crucifixion and death, he knew in his divinity all of those who would assist him, all of those who would console him, all of those who would reach out with their own little crosses and unite those crosses to, to him in that moment. We were seen we were known and we were loved in that moment. And so when we recognize that, there is a profound spiritual communion with Christ, which then changes us, and then through our, our suffering, changes others, particularly those with whom we might offer them. And an honor, what an honor, and to be to be mm. counted among those to console our Lord in that way and through our mm. sufferings. And it's so hard. And, you know, from, from big to little, there are innumerable sufferings that we can offer. I just wanted to ask about emotion because Fulton mm. Sheen says the temptations 
of man are easy to analyze because they always fall into one of three categories, the flesh, the mind, or idolatrous love of things. So, but that's all the vices, lust, gluttony, greed, pride, envy. And so under pride, emotion, every saint has Mm -hmm. always warned against following our emotions in spiritual life. But now more than ever, it's we are in such an emotionally charged culture in a spiritual warfare too exorcists say yeah. that high emotionality attracts demons that we have to have custody of our emotions our imagination so how can we offer up our sufferings when we're irritated when we want to get angry or maybe explode or maybe it just be road rage you know as a way to develop sure. virtue and gain control over our emotions mm-hmm so I, th- I think the first the first point is is to say that that emotions are um, are amoral, not immoral, but amoral. They they are neither good nor bad. They are simply reactions to stimuli. It is what we do with them that makes them um, either virtuous or, or or immoral. And and you're quite right. You know we live in an emotional soup at the moment where everything um, aimed at us is to provoke an emotional reaction. Um, all of media, all of marketing, all of, of the, the, particularly in the Western world where, where, where we live, um, everything is aimed at getting that emotional buzz back from us. You know, um, even even the scientists speak of the, the dopamine addiction that we're all we're all under, um, looking for the for the for the buzz or looking for the next high. Now, as opposed to that, what does our spiritual tradition teach? It teaches us that emotions come and go, but they are not to be trusted. And this is the most important thing of all. We don't trust emotion as spiritual guide. And, and sometimes even within, within worship, for example, uh, we can have you know, wonderful moments of worship, profound moments of, of deep feeling. And then we can have moments of absolute, I mean, maybe even periods of absolute desert when it comes to, to emotion. The emotions aren't important spiritually. What is important is the training of the will. Uh, that we are definitively choosing to follow Christ, regardless of how we feel. Uh, and and that, this is the, 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 the big moment of, of discernment for the person who is really entering into deep conversion, where they begin to let go of the feeling. There's a wonderful story of the, the great mystic Jacopo de Todi. He was a Franciscan um, just after St. Francis, about 30, 40 years after St. Francis. A great poet, um, he was uh, one of the, 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 the most extraordinary um, poets of the Middle Ages, um, but a great man of passion as well, and, and went through a very deep conversion to become a Franciscan. He had moved from being a kind of a troubadour to being a Franciscan. And there's a lovely story about him turning up at his guardian's door three o'clock in the morning, you know, in a great wave of emotion, uh, knocking, knocking the door down and weeping. And all he kept saying was, it's gone, it's gone. So the poor guardian, the superior, the friary, eventually opened the door and, you know, sleepily said to him, What's gone? What have they taken? He thought something had been stolen from the fire. And Jacopo said, the feeling, the feeling of God's presence, the feeling is gone. Mm. And the guardian kind of looked at him for a few minutes and said, Jacopo, feelings mean nothing. Duty is everything. Go and begin the breakfast for the brothers. And the, 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 the little sting at the end of that is to move the person to service immediately. And we find this again and again in the lives of the saints. Um, they're, they're well capable of feeling. They have wonderful emotions and they're, and they're great in terms of sharing the strength of their emotions. But the emotions serve the will as opposed to the other way around. 
And this is what we're moving to when we convert the feelings. But yeah, the feelings but should should serve the will more than anything else. That's so good. And you tr- mentioned you Go mentioned ahead. imagination there, and that's one of the things that becomes really important as we move into into the life of prayer uh, a little more deeply, particularly during Lent. Saint Teresa of Avila, that great great guide to the spiritual life, says nothing is more important to the beginning than the purification of the imagination. Now, what does she mean by that? She means discerning the stimuli that we allow in, discerning clearly what what we are looking at, what we are bringing our senses to, what we are listening to, the kind of conversations we're having, etc. Because what we put in is what we become. You know, there's that old adage, we, we, we are what we eat. Well, the same is true for all of the senses. You know, we are what we see, smell, touch and taste. Um, and so one of the things I think we really have to be very careful of in the world that we live in now at the moment, when we're flooded, you know, a million times a day, flooded by images and by, um, by, by images and, and sounds and, um, you know, all kinds of content that is specifically meant to stir our emotions. Um, we need to be very, very careful in terms of, of watching. Are my emotions moving simply out of, out of an external stimuli or are they moving according to grace? And if they're moving according to grace, we will see them move as the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things whereby we know our emotional life is present within the Holy Spirit. And if our emotional life isn't, it's all over the place. And the training of the will, I underline that you said that that's such a good reminder. And Lila Lawler last week was on and she said, you know, we have to stop being in conflict with our duties. And, you know, the story that you just shared so beautifully demonstrated that. And just again, to have custody over emotion, imagination. Um, we have to take a quick break. Brother Richard Hendrick is here joining us from Dublin. So glad we got him on the line. A priest friar of the Irish branch of their Franciscan Capuchin order and currently parish priest of the old oldest church in Dublin. And we'll have to take a quick break, but we will be right back. We're talking about offering up suffering, saints, spiritual warfare, especially during this time of Lent. It's Brooke Taylor in for Timory. We will be right back here on Trending. Stay with us. Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to Trending. Tim Marie will be back on Wednesday. It's Brooke Taylor. Grateful to be with you today, along with Brother Richard Hendrick up late, he said, with lots of coffee and prayers, I know, joining us from Dublin, Ireland, with the the time change there. Brother Richard, there is so many of your poems, as, as you are a writer, a contemplative, are moving. But one in particular you wrote about, I think it was 10 years ago, in 2014, about the rosary that you wear upon your cords, handed down from friar to friar. And I I hope it's okay, but I just wanted to read a few lines that I pulled. You say, I wear them at my side where knight's sword sits, for they are sword and armor both, and shield too, bearing the arms of the queen of peace. So I walk on, herald and full friar, pilgrim, brother, sinner, stranger, even to myself, but always hers. So beautiful. That's just one little snippet, by the way. But what does the rosary mean to you and... You know, I just wonder how the prayers remain fresh and alive as often as you pray the rosary also. Well, the, the best definition of the rosary for me is, is one that I was given many years ago. Um, and I think it originally stems from St. Bernadette, as far as I'm aware. But it was an old, an old lady who said it to me, and it stuck with me ever since. 
And she said, the rosary is holding Mary's hand. Mm. Um, and I think for me, for me, that's what the rosary is. If, if I'm praying the rosary, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm making sure that it's a part of my day, um, if I return to it as often as I can, then in some way I'm holding Mary's hand as I, as I walk through, through the day. Um, and that allows me to, to be sure that I'm dwelling in, in, in her presence. And as we know, if we're in Mary's presence, we're in the presence of Jesus. Um, and so for me, particularly in the Lenten season, um, I try and uh, we pray the rosary, obviously, every day, the, 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 ordinary, the ordinary rosary everybody knows. Uh, but, but during the Lenten season, I also try and pray the, the rosary of the seven sorrows of Mary, particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very, very ancient, um, ancient meditation, uh, particularly granted to the Servite order of friars, but popularized throughout the church. Um, and the contemplation of the seven sorrows, either as um, the Rosary of the Seven Sorrows, or even simply uh, for people who, who might, might, wouldn't have that amount of time, just simply praying an Ave in honour of each of Our Lady's Seven Sorrows is a way of, of really walking with her through the mysteries of the Passion in a, in a very special way during Lent. And as to our other uh, point, our previous point around offering things up, one of the ways in which uh, I think the Rosary allows us to enter more fully into that mystery of redemptive suffering, unit of redemptive suffering with Christ, is um, you know making sure that sometimes our rosary can be something that that we have to offer up, that we have to say, you know, I'm I'm feeling dry, I'm feeling distracted, maybe I'm feeling you know tired as as I'm praying it, but to really bring that um, bring that part of ourselves uh, as part of our prayer, as part of our practice, consciously to mind and to offer that even to to the Lord. I know Padre Pio used to say to the brothers that the rosary that is struggled through uh, is, is, is a far more powerful prayer than when everything is going well and perfectly in our mm. prayer. Um, yes. So uh, he certainly knew what he was talking about when it came to the rosary. Do you have a favorite mystery? Oh, um, well, if, I'm, if we're going to speak about the sorrowful mysteries particularly, um, it's the crowning of thorns. Um, I, I, I have always always been attracted to that particular mystery when it comes to, to the sorrowful mystery. Um, but, it, but if, if I was, you know, choosing, choosing the, 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 um, the one that, that speaks to me more, more and more all the time, it's, it's, um, the assumption of our lady, uh, because I think it offers us such hope. Um, it, it reminds us, and as we're told, even in the liturgy of the feast, it's not just Mary's feast, it's our feast as well. It's the feast to remind us that where she is now, through the grace of God, one day, please God, we will be also. Amen. Beautiful. And I love what you said, holding Mary's hand. And it's so simple. You know, Mm. sometimes the most profound things are the simplest. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. as we wrap up, would you give us a final blessing? And um, well, before that, I guess any final takeaways for anyone who is struggling a little bit now through Lent, we still have just over a month until Easter. So quite a bit of time yet ahead of us feeling like this isn't Absolutely. off and running the way I wanted it to. Any words of encouragement? Okay, so let, let go whatever has been, has been. Give that over to the mercy of God. Bring it to confession if need be, but let it go. And begin again. You know, every Wednesday can be Ash Wednesday. Every every moment can be can be a new beginning in God. His mercy is new every day. So we entrust everything to Him. And and sometimes the gift of even giving the humiliation we've had when things haven't gone wrong, haven't gone right. If they've gone wrong, you know, we turn to the Lord and we say, "Look, we offer you up 
the humiliation, that suffering as well can be offered. So we give that to him and we begin again. There's that offering it up. <laughs> indeed, indeed. That's absolutely. true. We unite to us, the Lord always. Would you give us a blessing? Sure. We'll give you the blessing. So we give this blessing through the intercession of uh, one of the great uh, confessors uh, of, of the Capuchin Order and a great man for Lent, and Leopold Mandic, also a man utterly devoted to Our Lady. And with his relic here now, I bless you and all your listeners, all their families, all those they, they hold in their hearts in prayer. We bring them all before the Lord and through the power of this holy cross, through the intercession of our Blessed Lady, now we make this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn his face to you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with kindness and give you his peace this day and always. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Brother Richard Hendrick and St. Leopold. Pray for us. We didn't get a chance to really get into his story, but I do hope that people will look up St. Leopold. I think, in fact, on our trending page, we're going to link up story of St. Leopold Mandix background as he is a saint for good reason of the intercession when it comes to confession, the patron of confession. And thank you for blessing him with blessing us with his relic. God bless you, Father Richard. You're welcome. Thank you very much for having me and God bless you. And a happy Lent to one and all. Yes, thank you. Thank you to both of my guests today. Monica Dolan joining me at the top of the show. She shared the story of Servant of God, Rhoda Wise, an unassuming housewife in Canton, Ohio, who was a convert to the Catholic faith after first learning to pray the rosary while she was in the hospital. Incredible story devoted to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, the little flower. You can find more information about her on the trending page.